Hello and welcome to Westside Unscripted, the podcast where pastors loosen their ties, throw away their notes, and answer questions about all things theology and culture. And uh, today I'm joined by Pastor Peter. He is here. He does not have notes. He does not have a tie. And he's ready to answer questions. So, so well, this is okay. third. I definitely don't have notes. I definitely don't have a tie. We'll see if I'm ready to answer questions. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that, that is TBD. So stick around to see exactly <laughs> whether or not he's ready for the question. But as is the usual practice, he has brought books. So what what uh, what do you want to recommend today that we go about reading? Hmm. Well, I bought a whole stack of books. We've got a, we've got a massive stack here. Yeah, so w- so which one do we want to... Uh, it's like a category of reading. Okay. Kind of talk about like why, why would you take time reading literature? Okay. Like, and what would even make literature as opposed to, you know, your latest Tom Clancy novel? Why would you, you know, why would you um, bother to read Dostoevsky or, yeah, right. you know, the poetry of George Herbert when you could read, you know, Casey at the Bat and you know, Tom Clancy or Jeanette Oak or whoever else, you know, that would be, you know, maybe right, yeah. something people would like reading that would be, but maybe not literary in that mm-hmm. sense. So, so what, what do you think? What, why is that? Well, I think, so I, I brought some exa- So I think the, the benefit of reading your literature, maybe even how I define it is the way that it can stretch you. Like the way that, the way that writing that is intentionally, beautiful that's giving attention to the form as well as to the content that's trying to say something i think that may be i think that may be kind of like even where i would put the bar would be just talking about literature as a category that literature is trying to say something and say it well as opposed to a lot of more popular fiction might simply be aiming to entertain or to sell books or to do something else mm-hmm. um and so that sort of aim to communicate truth or communicate a view of the world um, and to do so in a artistic and beautiful way can expand your understanding of the world in a way that maybe just escapist fiction. Uh, it's not just a matter of genre, because I would definitely say The Lord of the Rings, for instance, you know, that would be literature. It's also immensely fun to read. Um, but there's something more to you get. Mm-hmm. There's something you get out of reading The Lord of the Rings that you wouldn't get out of, you know, the fantasy novel <laughs> at, at the drugstore yeah. counter for the most part. So does it? Do you think it then would kind of your definition is that the author is intending to say something bigger than just the story or the uh, experience that they're giving the reader? Yeah, because uh, because it seems to me it seems to me that like it's not just that. Yeah, so I should clarify probably. No, you you go ahead with what you were going to say. Oh, I was just going to say it seems to me. I mean, I talk about movies a lot and think about movies. Not all movies obviously are meant to say something big. But all movies can be analyzed for the worldview that they communicate, mm. whether it's intentional or not, whether whether they're like trying to say something big or not. There's something there that we can like an- analyze and pull out of it. But like the greatest movies are those that, to me, the author is trying to say something big and does a good job wrestling with the topic, so that then there's obvious. Or maybe it's of the maybe author, it's that maybe you, know? you put your finger on it with that last one. That it's not just because you don't make great literature by saying I'm going to you know Nate Wilson is you know Andy Wilson has talked about this so you don't make great you know you don't make a, write a great book by saying you know I'm going to convince people that abortion is bad that's not right you know yeah, like just right, saying right. something like that but it's almost like the story has reality like it's almost like there's an integrity to what is being done that is 
you know, it's the difference between painting a castle in the sky and actually taking a block of wood and carving it into a, that there's a, there's a givenness to the material that you're working with. That yeah. A, that, and, it, and it seems I, like, I, I'm, too, I'm not quite sure exactly that, how to put that. Yeah. And, and it seems like, too, that uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that the author is saying something or aiming at something true or maybe it's maybe it's that they're like aiming to try to discover the truth about the world that because there's some books that aims at something like that like just wrestling with the concept of love or wrestling with the concept of betrayal or loss or whatever kind of is the ends up being a theme of the story that it's the it's that wrestling after it. They might not hit it, right? There's plenty right. of plenty of good books that are amazing books and the that best don't books come to the good flawed. conclusion. Yeah, because they're aiming at something big, and you know, the bigger you aim, but even even some of the best books are, you know, so so speaking like Dostoevsky is one of my favorite novelists, um, and my favorite of his is The Idiot, which from a literary perspective, you know, there's some flaws in it, but it's because he aimed at this really big thing, <laughs> and he does an amazing job with it, uh, but right. he. He misses, you know, he, it's, it's, it's almost like the bigger the conception, the, you know, the bigger the scale, right. the yeah. more the flaws are going to be apparent when someone aims at something really small, you know, there's going to be. Yeah, when Evil Knievel jumps the Grand Canyon, people are ready to watch, you know, because, right. yeah, he might fail here and it's, catas- you know, there could be some catastrophic failure. But, but it's but still no more one, interesting to no watch. No one than. turns out to watch the guy, you know, on his first little jump. You know, the you know, first time he gets inches. in the air. Yeah, yeah, right. They fail or not fail, it's not interesting. Yeah, but the big the big things have something worth paying attention to. So what, so yeah, go, go ahead. No, 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 I think that's maybe, you know, this isn't like a formal, this isn't a literature podcast, but like there's something that you're getting that it gives you something, a broader, deeper, more accurate understanding of the world, even in the flaws that you're, mm-hmm. you're being forced to, re- like I think literature should force you to wrestle with things. Yeah. And right. it helps you to wrestle through them. Yep. Um, and so it's not merely escaping from your present circumstances, though it can be enjoyable. I mean, some great literature is enjoyable, some isn't, but it's not like just measured by enjoyability alone. There's other standards that are coming to play. Yeah. Right. So what you've brought some examples of that, what, yeah, what are, what would be some of, of the, different... what would be some of the ones you'd point people to, to check so out? I got that... a few different, uh, different things here. I mentioned Dostoevsky. I'm rereading the brothers Karamazov. I think Dostoevsky is just really a profound psychologist, not in the sense of like, psychological theory, which often people who write books of psychology don't really get humans very well. Um, not always, but that can yeah. sometimes be the case. But he really has profound insight into what motivates human beings. And I've just really learned a lot from him. I heard a quote recently, and I don't remember. It was someone quoting someone else so uh, from another podcast. But uh, I don't remember who originally said this. But that, like, you, you don't... Uh, you learn about human beings by like getting to know them, you don't uh, tear, like tear them apart into their pieces and figure them out. You know, like it, it's not something you can know by analysis. It's something that you have to know by getting to know them. And Dostoevsky seems to be someone who like really knew people on a deep level. Yeah, exactly. And you're getting to know people that you might not have a chance to get to know or even want to get to know mm-hmm. <laughs> in real life. You might, you might need to get to know them before you get to know them so you know what to do with them. Um, and so that's really just a theme throughout, yeah. you know, really, it's not quite caricature, but it's like really people push to the extreme and that kind of reveals what really motivates them, what really drives them. And so it, it, it teaches, it's very instructive, I think. Yeah, right. It's a novel. Um, 
a little bit easier uh, selling point, easier to read, uh, Wendell Berry. Uh, he did a bunch of essays and also some fiction as well, so I've been reading through this nice, uh, the Library of America is doing a nice collected set of his essays. They have two volumes of essays and one volume of, he wrote a bunch of short stories and then some novels as well, and they're putting them all like in the, they're all set in the same place, so this new edition is putting them all in the chronological sequence all the stories, oh, okay. all the books, which cool. is pretty cool. You can sort yeah. of read and see the characters because um, he basically has like this small town that's like the small town he's actually lived in and he's written all these fictionalized stories. Okay, that's um, cool. So it's definitely a little less drastic circumstances than Dostoevsky whose people are constantly, you know, plotting murder and other heinous things. <laughs> but it's still sketches of life that right, but it's still sketches wrestle of life. with the bigger questions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's, a, he's a craftsman with his words. And it really, he's thoughtful. His essays are very provoking as well. Wouldn't follow him, you know, everywhere, but I think he's he's a good, good person to think with. And I would I would definitely put that like in the literature category. Mm-hmm. I think it'll stay on the test of time. Yeah. And then we've got Shakespeare. Shakespeare, I don't actually maybe enjoy as much. Like Shakespeare, I'm it's growing. I'm like on my third or fourth. I'm, I've got like a six volume set of the maybe it's seven. I've got like a multi volume set, so it's actually legible type. So I think I'm on my third, third volume maybe of them. Okay. Yeah. And so I've just been slowly, over the years, working, working through the plays, and I've liked some better than others, some better than others. But there's also like some of that that you have in Dostoevsky, some profound insight on human motivation, and really wrestle with what motivates you. Like especially Hamlet. Hamlet was really, you know, the danger, of um, not Hamlet. What am I thinking of? Macbeth. Yeah, okay. The danger of ambition mm-hmm. and Hamlet, like how revenge can take over, like like sort of like how, um, you know, in others, how jealousy, uh, so Othello, how je- or um, King uh, Othello, King Lear, is that who you're? I was or... saying King Lear, but there's another one. Um, I think it's Cymbeline, um, which may not be in this volume that I brought with me, but. Um, yeah, I forget which. So what's the motivation there? or the? Uh... Well, just there's so one thing that comes back, like Othello and several of them over again, is the idea, the danger of jealousy, how jealousy can be provoked by. So like jealousy, like, you know, in a marriage, you want a positive jealousy. Mm-hmm. But if you have jealousy where there's no grounds for jealousy, that can be really, really devastating. Yeah, right. And how like just that's something to be really careful you let that spark grow it can drive you completely crazy um not that i personally needed that but that's a thoughtful it's a helpful thing to have in mind when you're counseling people and thinking you know just like those insights into how you know how things given their head can mm-hmm. t- take over yeah right so that, i thought that was just you know that sort of you know and uh, george herbert poetry yeah you like good. poetry i was gonna actually flagged um i was gonna flag one of these Far more accessible than Shakespeare. Yes. <laughs> Yet, Lord, restore thine image. Hear my call. And though my hard heart scarce to thee can groan, remember that thou once didst write in stone. I just really, there's some really, I've read, mm-hmm. I've read this whole, I've read this whole one, and there's some really good lines. Yeah. Um, you've read some George Herbert, right? I have. I've, is that the temple? Uh, it's for, well, the temple is like the collection of his of his poems. So yeah, it's this okay. Is, yeah, yeah. So I so I've read yeah I've read his stuff then, but yeah, it it's really thought provoking and like with poetry, all poetry there usually are connections made between things that you wouldn't have thought of that 
yeah. give light to give light to subjects and themes and it's really helpful really good yeah that's good. one one other one in the stack and then we better move on to the actual question uh andy wilson the dragon's tooth so he's a children's writer but i i really feel like he's there's you know maybe like a good definition of literary stuff is is it worth rereading does do you get more yeah. on a second so this is that like, was lewis's definition of a classic wasn't it that yeah, he said maybe. something along the lines of the rereadability of a book is what determines the whether or not it's a classic. Yeah, maybe. I, I forget. I, I couldn't. I couldn't swear to the, that. That's what he said. But that's a good. I think that's a good definition of like where it's something you can you can read again and you like it more the second time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you yeah. get more the second time mm-hmm. than you got the first time. Whereas you know you're reading. You know, and, and it's not just because you have a bad memory. It's because you actually are seeing more. You know, yeah. Right. You know how the story ends out, and it's still. You know, that's, right. that's something uh, Dorothy Sayers, um, Peter Whimsey stories are that way. Like even remembering how they end out, they're still fun to read, and and there's just a beautiful description and that sort of thing. So yeah. So this is we just have one more podcast after this. I thought with the summer we just yeah talk good about some good literature to read. And awesome, sounds good. We'll pick, pick up one of those. Take take the challenge of reading some kind of uh, yeah. So that that'd be the actual, bigger thing. Yeah. So something that's outside your comfort zone. Yeah. Not too much. Something you can actually handle, but. You know, maybe something that's more literary than you would typically pick up and just hammer away at it a few pages at a time. Yeah, and you might be surprised that, you know, some of that stuff is really actually enjoyable. Yeah. Some of it, some of it really is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and different people's different tastes, but like uh, there's some of it that you'll find very enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. So our question today comes from the book of Genesis chapter 9. I've reworded the question or kind of rephrased the question a little bit from the uh, original question we received. But the question is basically this. We've got... Noah, they come off the ark. Uh, there's a story there where Noah gets drunk. He's naked in his tent. Ham sees him, goes, tells his brothers. His brothers come and cover their father. And then Noah, when he wakes up, he ends up cursing Ham and blessing Shem and Japheth, the sons who covered him. So the question is basically, what is this curse? What is the result of the curse of Cain or, or the curse on Ham? And uh, what should we make of that. I think we should read the text. I've, I've obviously yeah. reflected on this text so much that the page is falling out of my Bible <laughs> um, so clearly. You know, this has been a source of puzzlement to me as well. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's see here. And the sons of Noah that went forth out of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. So we already know there's a connection to Canaan here in the beginning of the story. There's, there's mm-hmm. something that's being set up. Right. Um, these are the three, so we're going to need to know that. It's letting us know that. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And, of course, in chapter 10, you get the table of nations that comes after that. Uh, and Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan. So, again, we're, we're finding a connection between Ham and Canaan. It's not spelled out what connection Canaan has to the story, but this is the second time we're being told about Canaan. Um, Ham, the father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward, and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. (laughs) Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. So that raises a question, what had his younger son done unto him? Um, Because how would he know that he had been seen? So is there something more that's being, that hasn't been said? That's been a question that's puzzled readers of this passage ever since it was first written. Uh, And he said, Cursed be Canaan. 
So he doesn't curse Ham, so he knew what Ham had done, and he curses Canaan. Why does he do that? A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be a servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. So we have another mention of Canaan. And Noah lived after uh, the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. So there's a lot of questions we can't answer, I think, about this passage. So we don't know what did Ham do. Well, the text doesn't tell us. Um, presumably it was something involving his father's nakedness. Presumably it was something more than simply looking, um, but we don't know what he did. Um, what was the curse? Like, what, you know, was it a mark? It doesn't say that it was a mark like Cain, uh, like Cain received, so we don't know. Um, and there's no connection between the name of Cain and the Canaanites. That's, you know, the, the line of Cain dies out before the flood, so that's not a connection. Uh, but there is a connection between Canaan, the son of Ham, and the Canaanites. And if Genesis was, was written, you know, by Moses, then it's, it's, it's addressed, as we believe that it would be, um, then it's addressed to the children of Israel as they're about to inhabit the land of Canaan. Um, and so whether or not we can know exactly the nature of the curse and how Canaan was involved at that time, you know, for the reader of Genesis, um, you know, the Israelite reader of Genesis, this is all connected to the story of the Exodus and to the promise of the land of Canaan. And... Uh, Certainly at the literary level, talking about liter liter literary structure, you know, there's a connection between the sin of Canaan and the, the, um, the, the DVA, sexual deviations of the Canaanites. That there's, you know, a, a, you, know you, have the so you have the story of Sodom and Gomorrah coming up, um, and then you have uh, all the things that they did um, in... Uh, like throughout the wilderness wanderings. To the people of God, is that what you're talking no, about? No, 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 just all the, the, the deviant practices that they practice that, that God said, because they're doing all of these things, they're offering their, you know, they're engaging in deviant sexual practices, mm -hmm. they're offering their children to, you know, to, you know, false gods, they're doing, they're doing these things that require them to be exterminated. And so it seems like that curse, in some way, has a connection to the later destruction of the Canaanites. Yeah. Um, but it's also one of those puzzling passages that you're not sure, like, exactly what's going yeah. on other than, you know, the importance of filial piety in terms of, you know, covering, um, you know, that one mocked his father's failings, the other covered. So I'd, mm -hmm. you know, looking at the story, I'd yeah, say, right. you know, there's a real practical takeaway there um, that we should be careful even in confronting our parents' failure uh, at times when that's necessary to do so in a way that covers rather than exposes insofar as is possible. Um, and so... The attitude of mocking the failings of those who have gone before us is not one that God is going to bless, but instead is going to curse. So I think there's some things that we can see about that, even without really knowing. Like, clearly Canaan has something to do with the story. Is it possible that those to whom the book was first written knew more of the story and it was left out? I mean, given what's brought in, it's difficult to imagine what right. was left yeah. out, yeah. Um, if there is something. But th that is a possibility, always, yeah. you know? So, so it's part of that. I... You know, yeah. I studied through Genesis. I read the commentaries. I did did all of that, and I didn't come to like a really clear conclusion. Other than, you know, at the, at the level of the story, you know, the moral of the story is, you know, honor your parents. Um, um, at the level of the literary connections, uh, there's a connection between the you know the deviant practices of Canaan and the Canaanites. Um, yeah. You know, later, and you know, I'd want to say like in the level of God's sovereignty, it's not like God caused them to be 
you know, it's not like God forced them to be deviant. Just because of the right. curse. Yeah, right. You know, but there's some sort of fitting connection between the two of them. Yeah, um, right. And, you know, to a certain extent, like when we choose paths of rebellion, it's not like a trap that can't be escaped, but it does have an influence on future generations. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it may be that it's not an arbitrary connection at all between Ham's behavior, Canaan's curse, and the way the Canaanites behaved. Right. Yeah, which would yeah, that's pretty sobering. Like like our, you know, and it's it's not just at the sort of like sort of spiritual level, but even at the biological level, um, you know, the it's it's becoming increasingly seen that like our diet, uh, like so like so if you like even things that are your diet can be passed on through the methylization of DNA, like bad diet choices mm. you make before you conceive can affect your children even long after they're out of your household. Hmm. You know, not that it forces them, but it does yeah, have an right, influence right. on them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that like our, our general health and the decisions we make can, yeah. can influence future, future generations. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, which also is something when I'm looking at someone and I know where they've come from or I know like, you know, what the grandparents are like or whatever, then I... You know, I think that's appropriate to take that into account that, you know, even when you see faith and you see faithfulness from that really difficult background, then if you know, you know, if you see somebody with one leg and they're crossing the finish line, um, right, you're going to judge them differently than you see someone with, with two legs and they're a few steps ahead. Well, maybe the person with one leg had a lot more effort to get to where they're going. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. And really, only God knows all of that, and He just calls us to be faithful. And mm-hmm. sometimes the people maybe that we judge the most, without knowing what they were up against, are going to be maybe the ones that are at the head of the line, and some of those who are first are going to be last, and some of those who are look last are going to be first. Um, yeah, the sorting most definitely will look different than we judge it to right. be. <laughs> that, Absolutely, that's for sure. But I think, you know, wanting to take a God's eye perspective on things, and we know that's the way that God judges. We know that he judges, the widow's might teaches us that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see a Canaanite showing any faith at all, we're going to take that into account. Yeah, and and we do. I mean, in the first story, going into judge, or going into Joshua, right, it's Rahab. Rahab shows up, and she shows significant faith by putting a cord out her window. Yep. You know, right? And her household is saved as a result of it. So Absolutely. Yeah. Even though, you know, she has failings. And so I don't think we should look at Rahab and say, well, she told a lie. We should tell lies too. We should more look at her and say, here's a Canaanite. And she had everything going against her. She's a Canaanite prostitute. And yet she puts faith in God uh, and God rewards her for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Well, this has been another episode of Westside Unscripted. Thanks for joining us, uh, and we will be back with you again next week to answer more questions. So uh, I say we're going to answer more questions. We're really not going to answer more questions. We've got a predetermined topic for next week, and then we're going to be out for the summer. So uh, you can shoot those questions to us as you think of them throughout the summer. And uh, we'll have a Q&A in midsummer, so you'll be able to answer, ask some questions there about the embodiment series, and then we'll be back Uh, with the podcast in the fall. So send those questions my way. I'll put them on the list and we'll be able to deal with them later. But uh, we really appreciate you listening and look forward to being with you next week.